It is time to go deeper in God's Word. It's time to engage in truth. Here is Dr. Steve Ford and Pastor John Bornsheen. Welcome back to Engage in Truth, a show where we will once again examine life through the lens of Scripture. I'm Steve Ford, your co-host for today's show. Together with Pastor John Bornsheen, Senior Pastor at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley here in Colorado Springs, we will be wrapping up our extended discussion of the top 10 issues that divide Christians. This has been a, a fantastic series. The prior episodes in this series and many more can be found on the church's website at calvaryfountain.com. That's calvaryfountain.com. During the last broadcast, Pastor John spoke about the changing cultural climate in our country that really opened the door to today's religious pluralism. He mentioned the rise of skepticism and postmodernism secularism, and relativism. Well, we'd like to continue our discussion on religious pluralism today after some timely commentary on world events. Pastor John? Oh, Dr. Ford, it's so good to have you back in the studio. I missed you last week, and then I had to carry the whole show all by myself. (laughs) It's just not the same when you're not here. So I'm excited that you're here, and we have so much to talk about, especially as we look at world events. The irony in this, Dr. Ford, is we began this series on the top 10 issues that divide Christians, while simultaneously a whole new issue has crept in. We could almost add as an 11th, and that's been what we've been seeing unfolding right before our eyes of the nation of Israel. How interesting it is. And we, we saw Christians divide over COVID, how we responded to COVID, how churches either stayed open or closed, and, and there was division in the church. And we've since been dealing with that and addressing those issues uh, a number of times, even right here on this broadcast. But now, in the midst of this discussion of these top 10 issues, the nation of Israel has declared war on Hamas, and throughout this, we initially saw a tremendous amount of support for Israel, and then right afterwards, even amongst Christians, there was a huge division. I mean, I have addressed this now. Watch people get up in service and walk out and not come back. I have had uh, conversations with people where they were just blasting me about this issue. So we've had a number of folks very burdened about this and on all sides of this perspective, we want to just narrow it down to two, but there really aren't just two. I mean, this has become quite a divisive issue for a number of people, and it's not so black and white for some. For me, it's fairly black and white. I'm going to stand with Israel, and I even have my uh, you know, wristband and my lapel pin, and I'm going to stand with Israel. I have Jewish family members And I have people in the land of Israel who are reporting to me over and over again of what's going on there. However, I also have Christian Arab friends. And that's the part that gets so dangerous in this, where we can lump an entire people group into what Hamas is doing, what Hezbollah is doing, certainly what Iran is doing, and even Turkey and others, and their leadership. It's not all the people. And so that that's what really becomes so hard. We want to just lump an entire people group. They're all bad guys. That doesn't work that way. We can certainly see what Hamas has done is evil. And we've been talking about that over the next the past few weeks, probably continue to talk about it. But that's the hard part for us is to delineate that. I mean, we've seen various Christian groups go forth and or dare I say Christian loosely. Let me put uh, give you a little finger <laughs> quotes here. Um, they call themselves Christian groups and they will do things and, and they claim under the flag of Christianity and do horrible things. Uh, things we would most Christians, even mainline Christian churches would totally disagree with and yet they put the title Christian before their efforts 
and then make the rest of us look bad. And that's that's where we would distance ourselves from those behaviors. The secular world would say, oh, that's all Christendom. No, that's not fair. And so we dare not do the same thing here. We have to be able to delineate that and understand there is a difference. However, we are watching war unfold. And it is, is, is the war justified? Certainly it is. We've talked about that. 656 times Hamas has attacked from Gaza into Israel. That's not including the attacks from the West Bank or even the northern territories of Israel. They have constantly dealt with this type of affliction over and over again since they were established. So we have to understand this has been an antagonistic effort to Israel. And many will come to the table and say, well, why don't they just come back to the two-state solution? And I have posted on my Facebook page a video about that so that we can understand a little bit of the history on it. The fact that they have tried to address the two-state solution many times since the British held that region, even looking to that solution. And and what we find is that the Jews were in support of it. Five times they offered that to, to make a two-state solution. It was the Arabs who turned it down. So what we see here is that Hamas and Hezbollah and the, the rulers of Iran and even Erdogan there in Turkey, this is not about Israel's well-being or finding a two-state solution. This is about genocide. This is about eradicating all of those Jews in the land of Israel. And you got to think about it from Satan's perspective here for a moment. I'm going to just turn the attention there because this is a spiritual thing. This is a supernatural attack on God's chosen people, right? That's that's what this is really all about. If he destroys Israel, then he would ultimately thwart all of God's plans, crush any prophetic outcome of those plans, and ultimately the entire universe would cease to exist, right? So that's how big this is. So God's supernatural protection over Israel is what we're seeing here, even despite themselves, despite the fact that Israel is very secular right now with only 1.9% as believers. I talked about that last week. God is still doing a mighty work in them. We know by the time the Antichrist comes on the scene and he'll broker in a, a peace treaty with Israel that halfway through that seven-year treaty, the final Shemitah cycle before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, he allows them to rebuild the temple. He desecrates that temple. He turns, according to Zechariah, his attention to the Jews to slay them, and two-thirds are slain. The other third that are preserved and small in number, many will have even fled into the wilderness as the Lord Jesus instructed them to do in Matthew chapter 24, to flee into the wilderness for their preservation. We see that in Revelation as well that they go into the wilderness and they're protected there for 1,260 days. So God has a plan in this because those who are preserved ultimately will see the Messiah return. Those who survive will see the Messiah return and they will receive with mourning, says in Zechariah. They will see the one whom they pierced and with grieving hearts, they will finally accept their Messiah. He comes down on the Mount of Olives. He cracks the mountain in half. By his spoken word, the enemies fall. Zachariah says they dissolve where they stand. It's a glorious moment of total victory. Jesus Christ atop Mount Moriah in victory against the Antichrist and the false prophet. And we read that they're thrown into the lake of fire, the false prophet and the Antichrist. The reason why I bring all that up is because we're seeing some amazing things unfold real time right before us. As we're talking about all of this, we have been reading prophecy for some time. And Dr. Ford, we've covered a number yeah. of prophecies about Israel uh, for years now, we've been talking about some of these things, and some topics that have come up is Psalm 83 or Ezekiel 38, 
I would encourage all of our listeners to go and read that. If you go to Psalm 83, this is one that's often been taking sort of the spotlight here because Ezekiel 38 describes a time of peace in Israel or the illusion of peace when Gog of Magog, Rosh, it demonstrates at least some uh, a confederacy that involves Iran and Russia predominantly coming down, hooked in his jowls to come back down to Israel. And we're seeing some motive even now right, that the natural gas that's flowing out of Israel, that Russia may be very enticed to come and seize, because suddenly Israel now has this wealth of natural gas supply. So there's a lot of motive that could come on the horizon. But right now, what we're seeing doesn't seem to be Ezekiel 38, maybe building blocks toward it. But I would encourage all of our listeners, go back and listen, or at least read from Psalm 83. You start there in verse 4, and you make your way down, maybe even through verse 12. And what you see there is are as another confederacy of nations that are conspiring against Israel to attack Israel. We don't really know the timing of this, but this is what we could be seeing brewing up real time right before us here, because the nations involved, if we were to put a title on those nations now, because at that time, the nations, the you know, obviously the borders are broken out a little differently. The names of those countries are a little different. But what we see there displayed is Turkey, Jordan, these are the countries coming against Israel, Turkey, Jordan, Lebanon, Gaza, West Bank, Egypt, Syria, Iraq, part of Saudi Arabia, and Iran. Those are the countries that are highlighted there in Psalm 83. Does that not fill the, the, the fill in the blank here of the nations that seem to be rising up against Israel right now? And, and the interesting thing here, Dr. Ford, is that Daniel chapter 11, you make your way down through Daniel 11, it's a play-by-play of the foreshadowing of the Antichrist and Antiochus IV. And we see all the kings of the north-south and and the history that unfolds there, all the way to the end of the chapter, which describes the future Antichrist, because Antiochus was a foreshadowing of that final Antichrist, who's then his power. He wants to seize everything around the world, not just in the region of Israel, but we can learn a lot from history. So just like Egypt was sort of a foreshadowing of what was going to happen globally in the time of the revelation of the tribulation, Likewise, we see with Antiochus was a regional version of what will become a global version of the Antichrist in the final days. And when you look to verses 40 to 45 of Daniel chapter 11, you see that somehow, some reason, Jordan is spared from the Antichrist's moving against the nations around him. He turns his attention to Egypt, and we see Sudan and Ethiopia and Libya. Uh, We see other nations, it says, of the north and of the east, but yet he spares Edom, Moab, and Ammon. That's modern-day Jordan. In Psalm 83, though, Jordan is attacking Israel, not in the final Shemitah cycle, though. So those are some of the clues that we look for to say, are we on the precipice then of Psalm 83? Uh, versus Ezekiel 38. Again, all building blocks right before us. What we see, this is this is something that many of us have never seen in our lifetime that's happening there in Israel, that's affecting the entire world. I just heard the rhetoric coming out of Iran just recently of, of them talking about supporting with uh, cruise missiles and everything coming out of Yemen and basically verbally declaring war on Israel. And then you have the same thing coming out of Erdogan, out of Turkey, and his rhetoric against Israel. So we see the, the neighbors of Israel all ruining up to destroy the nation of Israel, to seize the land, if you will, to eradicate a people group. I mean, this is intense stuff that we're seeing real time. So I'd encourage everybody, go back and get very familiar with Psalm 83 and with Ezekiel 38. Now, I do want to add to Dr. Ford, and you know, 
feel free to jump in here because I'm just going on and on and on about this because we do need to get into religious pluralism. And that's why we've kind of drug this out. But uh, I do want to talk about Mike Johnson as well. However, let me add this. Um, Dr. James Dobson just came out with this statement this week, and I believe it's a very powerful statement because sometimes we find ourselves in a neutral area. We don't know where to stand. Do we stand with Israel? Do we stand against Israel? It's quite clear biblically we must stand with Israel, even while they're at times going through great affliction and at times seem to be doing the, the wrong thing, as we, I would declare that they made the wrong decisions during covid I mean, some of the lockdowns and things they put people through was the wrong decision, but we still stand with the nation of Israel, even through their chastening, even through their struggles. Uh, It's a time called Jacob's trouble, after all, in Jeremiah chapter 30, that they're going to go through up through the tribulation period. But Romans 11 will happen. All of Israel will be saved. We will be united together as the bride of Christ, the church with the nation of Israel that has declared their Messiah. Ezekiel 48 then says all the land is restored back to the tribes of Israel, to the son as Isaac and all of his sons in each of those tribes. But here's what Dr. Dobson said, and this is a powerful statement. He says, the barbaric slaughtering of innocent Jewish families has been nothing short of absolute evil beyond the religious dimension This is an assault on one group of people created in the image of God by another. We have seen such atrocities before, and we must not permit this latest expression of unwarranted hatred to stand, lest we ignore the lessons of history. May God have mercy on us as human beings. If our posture is not one of unequivocal and full support of the nation of Israel at this crucial time, we stand in solidarity with the Israeli people. That's a pretty bold statement to make. Many are backing down from that, even in churches, because they're fearful as people are, are giving into division and uh, fighting amongst each other over such matters, which shouldn't be. But it's it's rules, rules up a passion in people one way or another. For me, I'd rather err on siding with Israel, despite some of their brokenness and bad decision-making at times, and I think we can look inwardly and say the same thing about America. Have we done things rightly at all times? No. (laughs) Do we continue to make mistakes? Absolutely. But I don't think there's a patriot out there that would say, I still stand with America despite our brokenness. The same is true of Israel. This is God's chosen people after all. Deuteronomy makes that clear. So we can pray for them, and we pray for resolution in this. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for lives to be saved. That's the right response. And I'm so grateful that God brought us somebody like Mike Johnson into the House of Representatives for such a time as this to finally, I mean, Dr. Ford, that was like, that just, what a, <laughs> just, what a yeah. turn of events. Came out of nowhere. I mean, yep. one moment there was going to be a representative that was sponsored by George Soros, who like hates everything, right? I mean, anything good. <laughs> it, I, yeah, I know. I just went on the air and said that. It's like anything good or godly, it's like he hates it and wants to destroy it. And, and so there was a man who was basically funded by him, who was about to be the nominee, and all of a sudden he's out of the picture. And then Mike Johnson comes on the scene, this godly man, a Christian man who even helped Ken Ham and Answers in Genesis uh, with the, uh, the, the ARC exhibit there in Kentucky. I mean, this is a man who's... Uh, practices what he preaches. I mean, you see him on bended knee. And I've spent time in D.C. with the National Day of Prayer and spent time with these leaders. And to see a man like that suddenly, that God places for such a time as this, and his first order is to stand with Israel and now to fund a bill to help them in this time. This is incredible. I mean, this is a hand of God in this. So what we've got to do is pray for him. Uh, the Family Research Council has started a 21-day of praying for 
Mike Johnson. And so you can go to frc.org, frc.org, and they've got a, a prayer guide there and asking people to stand with him in prayer. That's the right response. First Timothy chapter 2 tells us to do that. We pray with supplication, which is humility. We pray with intercession on his behalf, and we pray with thanksgiving. Uh, for God raising up leaders for such a time as this. It, it's such a kind of breath of fresh air because sometimes the wind in our sails starts to kind of wane a bit when we just start <laughs> to see such, I don't know, leaders raising up, being raised up around us that disdain the things of God and the behaviors. I mean, when the White House was covered with LGBTQ colors and all the things that were going on, you're just going, Lord, is there any hope for this nation? Yeah. <laughs> so that, that to me was a breath of fresh air. And uh, I just pray that we have more leaders like that uh, raised up around us for such a time as this, right? So, uh, Dr. Ford, we probably, unless you want to add a few things on everything I've shared, let's get into our final minutes here on religious pluralism, because I've kind of dominated (laughs) all of that with everything else going on. But I I really tried to set some of that, the stage for this final discussion on religious pluralism this week, because last few weeks I've tried to weave it in, even with you while you are here the previous couple weeks on this discussion, because we've got to get through it. For us, it's kind of a no-brainer, because you and I just love the Lord Jesus so much. That the idea of just talking about religious pluralism, it just seems so um, foolish, yeah. but yet we have to address it because it is something that divides. I mean, it's the the idea, even for an atheist, who could say out of nothing, out of chaos came order, out of nothing came detail unlike anything we could ever measure in the complexity. I mean, the human body, according to Michael Behe, is more complex than the whole solar system combined. And and so for that kind of complexity just to come out of nowhere makes absolute no sense. We see nothing to that effect anywhere. There's no evidence for that anywhere. All we see is Romans 1, where God has revealed himself in everything around us. We are without excuse because God has made all with ultimate complexity that is just reveals the glorious handiwork of he who created all. And his name is Yah or Yahweh. We know his name. How many religious groups out there don't even know the name of the creator? And it's a very intimate relationship. It is, it is Emmanuel, that God tabernacled with us, God right. with us. And we know his name and we know his, his heart and his character. And he's revealed himself through 66 books of the Bible that's been written since 1440 B.C. All the way up that we see with the final work of the book of Revelation around 90 A.D. And all of this encapsulates this incredible thought processes and the magnitude of the one who's created us and given us purpose and life and hope eternally. I mean, it's hard to even discuss anything that's not that, but to even give it airtime, right? Um, Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says, nor is there salvation in any other except Christ, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And that's the fact of it. pretty straightforward. Yeah, so I, I mean, last week I even tried to touch on a little bit of the fact that universalism, inclusivism, exclusivism, all these isms that we try to throw out there. But truly, if we believe the words of Jesus Christ, he can't just be a good prophet because he called himself God more than seven times, even though that's what re- is recorded very clearly, I am, right. in, in the Gospel of John. He also declared that when he called Daniel a prophet, basically indicating that he is God because that meant he was with Daniel is a Christophany there in Daniel chapter 10. So he is, all, he, you know, a number of times he declares himself to be God. They knew what, they knew he was saying that. They right. were wanting to stone him for exactly. that because he declared himself to be God. <laughs> um, so he's not just a prophet or a good man with good intentions, 
so there are a number of other groups, like even Islam or Hinduism, Buddhism even, try to adopt him in in some way. Rather than trying to discount him altogether, they try to adopt him as sort of a way giver, another avatar, another prophet. No, he's God. And so if he's not, then he was a liar. Therefore, he wasn't a good man, and he wouldn't have been a good prophet, and everything else would have the whole universe unravels. Mm-hmm. So he is fully God, revealed to us in the skin of man as the second Adam that Paul calls him in, in, in to the Corinthian church. So, you know, part of this issue then, I think Dr. Ford wraps around the fact that he was so clear about not only his mission, but it's only through him. There are only two roads. We don't like that. We want multiple options, right? right? We want a hundred <laughs> ways to get to the top of the mountain. He didn't give us that. Yeah. There's only one way through me or the wide road that leads to destruction. And then you have to talk about hell, that there is a hell. There is a consequence or a conveyor belt taking everything into the fires of hell. And he's saving, right? The, the clarion call goes out that all to the call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you confess with your mouth, Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. No asterisks there. There's no, like, fine print. It, it, it's that black and white. And, and so then we read these 60-plus verses on the reality of hell, and, and that's, that's what the wide road leads to. So there is only two roads, one to destruction and one into life, and we talked about that. Uh, but I, I think that when we talk about the nature of God and human beings and salvation and all of these things, we just want a secular approach to everything, right? We kind of want it our way, right? And we want some hybrid of something. It can't be that definitive or that finite or that can't be a hell. I mean, God wouldn't cast people into hell. And the reality is everybody was already headed to hell and he saved them away from that. Those who called on his name and say, save me. And he saves them. And he doesn't desire any to go into that kind of suffering, he desires men to be saved. And that includes women, children, and all, right? right? <laughs> um, but I, I think that's, you know, Dr. Ford, I know you probably are chomping at the bit. I've, I've taken all of our time. What are some of your thoughts? Oh, you, yeah, you make great points. And I just keep going back to C.S. Lewis initially, uh, you know, when you were really just rendering his liar, lunatic, or Lord, that we only have three <laughs> options with Jesus Christ. He was one of the three. Uh, and, and, and we have to decide, each of us individually, where we stand on that. And, of course, in The Great Divorce, he covers the fact that people who are going to hell really would not want to be in heaven, mm-hmm. that hell is something we actually choose for ourselves. It's not the Lord's will for us to right. be in hell. That is, those are our own individual choices that we make. In fact, the Lord came, became part of his creation, suffered, died on the cross, and was raised again to save us from it. So from God's standpoint, I think he's pretty much done everything he possibly can (laughs) to keep us in eternity with him. And now he has given us the opportunity to choose. That's right. I mean, even right here in El Paso County and Colorado Springs area, we, the whole county, obviously, that encapsulates Colorado Springs. And and you think there's 641 churches in El Paso County alone. And and so, you know, there's basically right where our church is, there's seven churches around there. I mean, there's plenty of ways the content is out there. The gospel is being disseminated. Uh, Most homes have probably multiple copies. We go door to door even and drop copies of the Bibles off around our of the Bible around our neighborhood. And so it's out there. We have to make a decision, though. And the, yeah. We can't use the excuse, especially when it comes to what is the meaning of life. And so often we don't even give the time or attention to that subject matter. Yeah. I've and arisen today gone. for a purpose. There's a God who created. He's ordered all things. He brought order out of chaos. He knows me by name. He knows the very number of the hairs upon my head. 
what is the meaning and purpose of all of this? Is it just to pay my bills, hopefully? Get through the week? Uh, try not to get sick? Yeah. I mean, what, what is the meaning of all of this? And that is found wholly in Christ Jesus. And then people will throw all this other stuff at us to confuse even our young minds, especially in academia today. Oz Guinness said it this way, the right to believe anything is freedom of conscience. But the idea that anything anyone believes is right is just plain nonsense, <laughs> right? They, they, they're all diametrically opposed. So to think that they're all going up the same path to the same destination is not correct. If you study any of the religions of men, they are all completely different in the outcome. So therefore, it's not the same mountain. The Lord was transfigured atop a mountain, and he is the only way. If we want to spend eternal life outside of the gates of hell, it's with Jesus Christ, and he is the only way. He tells us in John 17, verse 3, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Romans three twenty two. this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So and we want to thank you for listening to Engage in Truth. And Dr. Ford will uh, begin a whole new journey of new topics next week. So I'm looking forward to that. We want to thank you for listening to Engage in Truth. And to listen to this broadcast and others in this series, go to calvaryfountain.com. Again, this is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship, Fountain Valley Church, and services are 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sundays. And we'd love to see you there. God bless you, my friends. Take care. <music>